Hello, everyone, and welcome to Monster Hour. I am Quinn, your keeper of monster and mysteries. With me today are Hannah. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Hannah, and I play JR the Crooked. Tio. Uh, hi. I was going to do a fun <laughs> intro, and I couldn't think of one except the word au revoir, Episode which is not- Episode 50 energy. <laughs> which, is, which is not hello at all. I'm Tio, and no, I play Constance the Expert. Yep. And Kyle. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> I, this is Kyle. I play Alvin Hughes the Monstrous. Hello, hello, hello. hello. Last time. <laughs> hello. <laughs> hello, listeners. It's episode 50. Welcome. We did it. Welcome. <laughs> okay. Previously, JR and Constance ventured through the interdimensional rift in search of their erstwhile companion. After experimenting with the memory orbs and exploring the strange networked space that matched the scene following the death of the Earthbiter, the two of you found yourself in the midst of a strange skirmish between liquid black tendrils and shimmering silver threads playing out across the expanse. After hitching a ride on one of the gossamer filaments, you two were able to locate your companion, but very quickly fell prey to the same fate, the dissociative cacophony of the otherworldly entity. The three of you were left to contend with memories from your past, aided occasionally by the presence of those strange silver threads. We caught a glimpse of June's early years, which featured an above-average number of mall outings, and ultimately led her to a life of semi-righteous criminal pursuits. We saw Constance managing her Boonies funeral and first time visiting the studio after it was passed down to her, culminating in a crescendo of fire and darkness. Mm-hmm. And we followed Alvin as he ping-ponged back and forth between the journey of his own transformation and the memories of his guardian ancestry, ending with the scene of magic itself being sealed away. Alvin and JR. Yes? The two of you wake up. And like waking up from a dream, you know this time it is real. It helps that you are once again in the vast empty expanse of the world of orbs. Overhead, you can see the colossal floating entity. It's at least two or three times bigger than it was when you saw it previously, probably now the size of a skyscraper or perhaps an aircraft carrier. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, no. Its bell, previously transparent, is now covered with a slick sheen, like oil over dark water while the surface churns and seethes in a way that seems anathema to the skin of a living creature. So it's a bad jellyfish. It's bad, bad jellyfish. No, 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 no. And I shake my finger at it. No, shh. And extending from the base is an unending network of inky black tentacles stretching out as far as the eye can see. Alvin? This is going to be tricky to bite. Alvin. I'll be honest. Huh? Alvin, you're oh. okay. Okay, good. This JR? is you, you're here. You're here. You're here. You're here with me in wherever this is. So you may so where's Constance? The two of you look around and you see floating some distance away another figure. She's a young woman, probably in her mid-twenties. She's wearing kind of funky, eclectic clothing. It looks like there's a lot of paint splatters all over the place. God damn it, Quinn. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, yeah, there is, there's a third figure, and they appear to still be unconscious. Just a couple other things to set the scene here. JR, you can see that uh, just like when you arrived, all of these inky black tendrils appear to be locked in some sort of skirmish with a host of silken silver threads, all slashing and striking at one another throughout oh. this vast empty expanse. Okay. Uh, and both of you, as you get your bearings, realize that you each have a small bit of that gossamer thread looped around your index finger. Forget me not. Ooh, shiny. Very nice. I remember everything up until I got here, right? Uh, you remember everything. You remember getting here. You remember meeting that strange man briefly, and then the profoundly unsettling experience of having your consciousness blasted apart, and then slowly piecing it back together with the aid of these silver strings. Thank you, strings. Uh, and then coming to. Here. I say to the string on my finger, thank you, string. You did. You, I love you. Mwah. <laughs> I want to look around to see if that guy is still here. <laughs> he, uh, he does not appear to be anywhere in the immediate vicinity or anywhere you can see, basically. 
The scene that you see, Alvin, is this colossal entity that looks vaguely like a jellyfish, although that association is beginning to fade because it's sprouting these inky tendrils kind of from all areas at this point. Uh. And as its surface continues to change, that comparison is getting less apt. And it's in kind of a, you might describe it as a battle, uh, maybe a skirmish with a variety of these silver threats. And that's pretty much all you can see in every direction. Can we get out of here? Like, is there the entrance? Do we see the entrance where Alvin came in? I don't think you see the rift that you entered. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and give me a roll to read a bad situation, though? Eight. On a seven, nine, hold one. What's the best way out? The best way out is with the assistance of these silver threads. Whether that is through the rift that you came in on, uh, because it sort of brought you here, so potentially it could take you back or they could take you back, or it seems to have some sort of influence over this space, so perhaps in some other way it could extract you. But either way, those threads are your, are your way out. Okay. Well, I would like to swim over to this person... Wait, how did Alvin do it? Alvin thought about it, and then he, like, flew over there. Mm -hmm. So I do that, and then fly over, swim over. I make my way. It would be a nice little jaunty walk if we were in the real world, but we're not. So it's a jaunty fly. (laughs) Float, swim, soar, fly. Yep. You can describe it in any varied number of ways. I casually whoosh on over. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you just whoosh. You just whoosh over there. It's good. I imagine that Alvin is whooshing the way like somebody would comically slide across a like a, a bit like Tom Cruise in mm-hmm. Risky Business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would like to investigate what's going on with this woman. Yeah. Is she awake? This woman appears to be unconscious. She seems okay. There's no obvious signs of injury. Her heart rate seems fine, maybe a bit elevated. Uh, If you open her her eyes, they're moving. So you get the sense that there's some brain activity going on, whether it's like a dream or, you know, something else. But she's she's not awake. I shake her. You you shake her. (laughs) Yeah. Does she wake up? No. I slap her just once, just once. You go to slap her and you actually can see there's already like a red mark, like of a hand. Very strange. It almost lines up perfectly, actually, with where you were going to slap her. What? Listeners, Oh, you slapped her earlier. (laughs) You may recall you slapped Constance twice in like two episodes ago. Yes. Okay. So I'm looking at her and I'm like, this is all right. So either I, she knows that I'm going to slap her or it appears I have slapped her before. That's weird. JR, I think it's reasonable that your character would make this connection. She looks exactly like the students at the entrance to the rift. Okay. It looks like the exact same condition. Does she have any writing on her arm? <gasps> A whole uh-huh. bunch, yeah. <laughs> yeah, more than anybody we've ever <laughs> seen. Can I read it? Uh, yeah, sure. There's a there's a whole lot of it. <laughs> there's a whole novel written on there. Yeah, it looks like sleeve tattoos on both arms. There's Great, just a, a whole lot of notations about just strange, strange descriptions of people. Um, <laughs> code. There's like, trust the wolf man. And there's like, talk about a woman in a suit, presumably you. Uh, and yeah. then just like a bunch of other people, some of which ring a bell, some, some doesn't. So yeah, there's a whole lot of writing there. Well, Alvin, I think we know her. I think this is somebody that we know. Because look, woman in a suit, that's me. And Wolfman, that's you. Yeah, I don't know allegedly. a whole lot more. <laughs> Listen, I don't know. I, for a long time, I thought it was it, I was the only Wolfman. But then my, my sister can do kind of wolf stuff. And I just saw memories of a bunch of wolf stuff. Okay, but like Counterpoint references both a woman in a suit and a Wolfman. If it was just the Wolfman, I'd be like, okay, that's a possibility. She's talking about somebody else. But I think she's talking about both of us. Uh, Alvin, I'm willing to bet a lot that she's referencing both of us, and she clearly needs our help. That's a good, yeah, the data lines up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I feel good about that. Does the tentacle monster notice that we're awake yeah, and moving that? around? It does not seem to have noticed at this point. Right, because we're just like tiny little ants to this thing. It does seem quite preoccupied with this melee that it's in with all of these silver threads. Yeah. It appears to be winning. 
oh no from what you can gather but it's definitely taking some time and it's like central body has kind of an oily cover on it now yes yeah previously it had been sort of translucent now it's slick and covered in this black and rainbow sheen alvin and i have the silver threads around our index fingers does mystery woman paint girl paint lady she does, she does she not. Have any... Seems kind of like an no, art okay. girl to me. <laughs> <laughs> she does seem very artistic. I'm going to call her art girl. Art girl. Okay. Uh, She does not have... Does she have any weird black, shiny, gross stuff on her? No. Okay. I shake her again. Okay. Nothing, nothing, nothing? happens. Okay. Okay. I think these threads got us here. They might be able to get us away, but this thing is way bigger than even when I last saw it, and this feels fairly apocalyptic fight here bt dubs the threads i'm pretty sure are, are from a nonzi he was helping us out in there oh that makes sense because um, there's but yeah okay uh cliff notes i tell the cliff notes of the vision i saw as fast as i can and then i say we probably i feel like i need to help these threads out here i've got thread myself i guess i could try to go punch it in its big old building size head alvin you seriously think you're gonna be able to take that on like i know you're a big punchy boy but like that thing is huge it's big but it's I mean, it's got a cover on it. Maybe this thing can help me get inside, muck about with something in there. I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it's inflated and the like memory pressure inside is really high and all it needs is one good pop. So it's like that scene in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 where Drax gets eaten by the thing and then he carves his way out. Either way, I think these threads need, need some help. <sighs> Constance. Constance. You are floating through a sea of tar beneath the midnight sky. The ocean of ink surrounding you is heavy and clings to your skin, For a moment, weighing you down as you tread water. Feeling. The surface is rough and tempestuous, swells cresting and crashing down, down with an unnatural absence of sound. Your only point of reference in this space is the thin, oily sheen separating the two unending voids of darkness from one another. My first gallery opening. I hear Mr. Thompson call my this name. This ridiculously I, large Would room. you like to present? We should probably be heading back from every the farmer's artist market that I have admired in town. What happens next? Constance, you are pitching back and forth in this ocean of ink, the sea of tar amidst a coal black sky surprised that what I've do you do continue to stand here. i spit on it oh boy did i what happens Defi- defiant to the end <laughs> yeah of course i'm incredibly proud of myself you spit and just inches from your face you, you can't even see it you can't even see it fall into this ocean of tar wait when you say fall into it's all around me right like i have no sense of direction in here right Every artist that I have admired in their town, paintings are down. And instead, are four of and just my as I'm going signature to pieces, on the back for this, I'm going to need the space. I realize that not a single one has a sold sticker on it. You can still vaguely identify up and down. Oh, okay. If only because you appear to be floating in something, mm. this viscous, thick liquid, and above you is not liquid. Mm. But that's about the extent of your directional sense. Okay. I use my legs to kick and propel myself up. Like when you're uh, swimming underwater in a pool and you kick hard to like push yourself past the surface. I could tell that this is what happens. Easily take over. Trying to think if this should be a roll or not. You know, uh, yeah, Constance, I think you you propel yourself a a short ways out of the water, but gravity seems to compel you back downwards. Mm. And I think for a moment, your head falls beneath the surface of this ink. And for a period of time, I don't think you even understand or know or comprehend how long you completely lose track of everything. I look around at your desk or in front of the front class. desk clerk tells me all about various volunteer the best live performance I have she ever given. She could not finish her speech fast enough. All I enough. wanted to do was say, great. All 30 people in that class can tell you exactly what the Seneca it. Falls convention was. What do you mean all of it? I mean all of it. Give me all the shifts and also how do I work the front I desk? I think maybe a lot of people walk out. 
at some point you resurface. Mm-hmm. And you can feel this sort of honey-like black tar running off of you. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start swimming. But as I'm swimming, I close my eyes and I try to focus really, really hard on that memory of the studio. The memory that was wrong and that I burned to the ground. Constance, why don't you give me a roll plus weird? My dad looks at me, random garage sale. Shall we take a peek? We find exactly what he was looking for. An old, almost like defunct just television for a moment to bring it up. And there we are, carting it out in the backyard, him telling me stories. Every of renowned poet that came through his program while he fixes seemingly this broken TV and sneaks it into my room. My mom didn't know for three whole years that I had a TV in my bedroom. That's a solid 11. You think very hard about that memory. And it's kind of like grasping for something that's just out of reach. You can sort of feel it, but it's fuzzy and the details are unclear. You can't get there. But the concept is good. Hmm. And I think actually as you do this, overhead you can see what look like a handful of stars. And they twinkle and blink in and out and flicker and and fade, all except for one. JR and Alvin, you are in the shadow, metaphorically, of this colossal, otherworldly, jellyfish-esque entity. What do you do? Alvin, do you want to roll this out? Yeah. I get in the back of my airspeeder and I say, I feel like I could take on the whole empire myself. <laughs> um, so we want to help these threads in their battle against the tendril monster. Mm-hmm. And so what we think would be good is to whoosh around and try to collect some of these threads and try to entangle the tendrils and try to disable some of them by wrapping them up, not unlike AT-AT walkers. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Is this something that you are both doing or is this is this Alvin's part and JR is doing something else? Well, how, how does this all work? That's a good question. I mean, this is, we're doing this together. Obviously, Alvin is going to be doing the, like the actual physical act of zooming around and trying to tie the tendrils. But we thought either maybe we could try and trap it. The other thing we were thinking is perhaps communicating with it because uh, one of the magic things is communicate with something that you do not share a language with. Sure. Just to see what's going on. Uh, oh, Alvin. Yes. I got it. I got it. Communicate with me. (laughs) Good communication is essential. Because I need some some help, gang. Here's what I'm thinking, Alvin. I'm going to communicate with it, and I'm going to distract it. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's what we're going to do, is I would like to try and communicate with it, and Alvin's going to zoom around, and depending on how that goes, I may try to assist magically as well. JR, what does it look like as you try to communicate with this extraplanar, otherworldly entity? I hold out my hand and I go, what do you want with this, the intention of like trying to get an answer from it in a language that I will understand? Give me a roll plus weird. Eight. On a seven and nine, there is a glitch. Let's see. Hold on. Unwanted attention. Distract it. Well... Let's see what happens. Immediate unwelcome attention. Because I think that's the point of this. Yeah, that does seem to align with your plan to distract it. Yep. So, JR, you brandish the key and shout, what do you want? And Mm -hmm. it reverberates through this space. You get the feeling that somehow your voice has occupied this entire expanse all at once. Cool. And JR, this colossal entity rotates. It doesn't even turn. It just sort of rotates. And you get the vague sense that it is oriented towards you. And (laughs) you hear that cacophony of 
asynchronous tones come once again. It fills your ears, although you seem somehow resistant to the dissociative effects. It doesn't cause you to slip into unconsciousness or, or overwhelm your senses in any way, but instead you're filled with a singular thought. And I don't know, I guess for lack of a better term, it doesn't translate, but the best, as best as you can sort of wrap your head around it, it wants to control, to occupy, to subsume. You get a sense of, of hollowness that has slowly been filled and is continuing to be filled, and it wants to be full. Okay, so what I'm hearing is somebody didn't get hugged enough when they were a child. Okay, got it. And JR, as this happens, all of the black tendrils in the vicinity turn to you. Uh-uh. And the closest one sharpens itself to a point oh, and no. stabs through your shoulder Ooh. for three harm. I am one away from dying, so I hope you're happy with yourself. All right, Alvin, you better do this thing, because I'm about to go tits up. Or tits directional. <laughs> I'm not sure what's up right now. I'm going to be dead. space and time are a uh, meaningless construct. Tits up, <laughs> six feet under. Uh, uh. Under space. The yes. continuum. I'm under the space-time continuum. Yes. It's like under the jail, put I me think. under the jail. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Alvin, this scene unfolds, and JR has very much distracted this entity. I think I'm not even going to have her roll help out. I mm -hmm. think you just get a plus one on, on your roll here. Thanks, JR. What do you do? So Alvin is going to Superman whoosh as fast as he can around this entity, and he's going to try to, through thoughts, reach out to Anansi and these threads and collect a bunch of them and try to whoosh around these tentacles and gather them up in large bunches, binding them together with the silvery thread. Alvin, there's no response. Like, there's no communication that happens here, but you do see around you several of these gossamer silk and silver threads, almost as though they're proffering themselves to be taken hold of. Follow me! I'll grab a bunch of them. I think this is going to be an act under pressure, uh, and it's this is extremely weird, weird. So though. go ahead and roll. Yeah, go ahead and roll plus weird instead of plus cool with your ability. Plus weird with the with the plus one from Jr. Act under pressure. All right, not too bad. Twelve. All right. Do and you have that one advanced? I have that one advanced. Yes. Ooh. Sir. Okay. Do you want to tell the listeners what happens on an advanced act under pressure? You may choose to either do what you wanted and something else or to do what you wanted to absolute perfection. Now, I had an image where Alvin went and punctured the main orb of this thing, punching through that inky goop. I think that's pretty cool. So I think that's what I do. I think Alvin does a bunch of loop-de-loops, wraps up a couple groups of these tendrils to try to keep them at bay, help, these, help the other threads out, and then just like pulls up and shoots straight into the middle of the spooky jelly. Alvin, you grab hold of some of these threads, and you start sailing around, propelling yourself around this otherworldly entity. And as you do, you wrap and ensnare dozens of these inky black tendrils, trapping them. And I think in some cases, as you pull tighter, severing them, and the ink just sort of dissolves and floats out like liquid in outer space. And you go round and around, and eventually you pull up, and you have this bundle of silver thread in your hand. You propel yourself forward, and as you impact with the surface of this jellyfish, we see it looks like an object of unprecedented and unparalleled mass hitting water. You strike this creature, and everything pushes away from the point of impact. And as it does, it strains and then gives and it explodes outwards like a huh. volcano mm -hmm. erupting from the side. Dope. And half of this being just blows outwards yes. into the vast empty expanse. Woo! Yes, get Damn. wrecked. And Alvin, as you deliver this tremendous blow, you find yourself in a liminal space between the world of orbs and a thick, inky darkness. 
and ahead of you, you can see 11 glowing orbs of light, all arranged in a circle. Constance, overhead in this darkened sky, you see a handful of stars. We should probably be most of down. them fade away, but Don't worry, it'll be worth a single it. North Star remains. Give me a roll, past lives. Yes. Ooh. Oh, it's the blue star. Ooh, that is also an eleven. Oh yes, it's, <laughs> a, it's a good one. Going to pass Damn. Back for this on a ten plus. Hold two. I look around. Okay. I am going to ask, how did a past life deal with the inky abyss slash this thing? Constance, you look up at this star, and as you do, it shines brighter and brighter and brighter until none of the darkness remains. As it fades away, you find yourself at your parents' house. You're in the dining room at the table, your mother and father are there, and your boonie is there. You look down at your plate and you can see it's mostly empty. It looks like dinner is wrapping up. And I think you know immediately where you are. The end of another uncomfortable family dinner. One that featured some prominent questioning of your life choices. (laughs) What was it this time? Probably the fact that I um, spent money on a bunch of really fancy oil paints instead of fixing up my car. Typical stuff. Of course. Like you do. Mm-hmm. And I think it's at the tail end of a conversation with your mother. She's actually still talking, but the words don't seem to register. You're just looking at your boonie, and she's looking at you with a sly smile. And she pushes her plate back and kind of slouches a bit and says... I'm afraid I'm getting rather, rather tired. Constance, my dear, would you, um, would you be so kind as to walk me home? Yes, of course. Thank you, dear. I appreciate it. You know, oil paints aside, you're a good granddaughter. <laughs> Thank you. Excuse us, Magdalena. I, I apologize for leaving early, but I just don't have the fortitude that I used to have. I understand. It's always good to see you, Mother. Constance? Mm-hmm. Please be safe on the trek home. Yes, be safe, my dears, your father says, and he stands up and gives you both a big hug. I give him a, a very tight hug back. I'll see you soon. You and your boonie start walking towards the exit, and just before you reach the door, she ducks into the den, and you see her reemerge with a bottle of very expensive... Suica. And she returns with a nearly full bottle of Suica, grins mischievously at you, swings open the door with a firm and mirthful energy, and gestures for you to head out. (laughs) Alrighty. As the two of you step out onto your parents' front deck, she undoes the cap and takes a swig directly from the bottle. (sighs) Not as young as I used to be, but certainly better than... Staying at that dinner any longer. I'm sorry, dear. <sighs> well, you know, you gotta put in the hours, as they say. I think we should have a little bit of fun tonight, dear. What do you think? Yeah, I think we've earned it. I've had something in mind for a long time, my dear. And I, I think it's time. Oh? Constance, the two of you head down the Skyway Gondola, back down to Main Street where your car is parked. And with your boonie giving you directions from the passenger seat, (laughs) the two of you make your way to the edge of town, to the end of Main Street, out near where it meets the freeway, to a small, dingy-looking tattoo parlor. Ooh. (laughs) She hops out of the car, spring in her step, takes one more swig from the bottle, and says... What would you say about getting matching tattoos, my dear? You know, I'm not 100% surprised coming from you. What, what, what kind of tattoos? 
Something to remember me by. Hmm. How about this? Let's get matching tattoos for us to reminisce about later. I like that reason better. Sounds good, dear. Mm Mm-hmm. And she swings open the door to this tattoo parlor and ushers you inside. What happens next, Constance? I look around kind of sheepishly trying to find the right person to talk to. I don't know how this works at all. As I'm awkwardly trying to decipher the system at a tattoo parlor, my boonie is just like go straight up to a guy and just, we're getting matching tattoos. Are you free right now? Uh, yeah, I got time. He looks around to like the empty tattoo parlor. (laughs) Yeah. I sheepishly kind of stand there as, as my boonie, just like, this is how much we're willing to pay. We want full color. She knows what she's doing, is my point here. Mm -hmm. You get the sense that perhaps this was not spur of the moment. No, definitely not, because she also pulls out of her pocket a sketch. Constance, we've talked a little bit about your tattoo. I don't know if we've ever described it, although listeners who have seen our artwork are probably familiar with it. Oh, yes. Tying it all together. Yeah. 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 Nice. Yes. Constance, what does the sketch look like? Well, first of all, it's a sketch that Constance has been kind of absentmindedly drawing for a really long time. It's one of those notebook doodles that you just start doing when you're bored in class and stuff like that. And it looks like this is one of those sketches, like her boonie like picked this up out of one of her notebooks or something. And it is essentially like an inverted triangle. And it almost looks like there's like a mountain and some other geometric shapes in there. It's very abstract. And she doesn't know why she always doodles this. It's just one of those things that always is in her mind. And it's an easy, at this point, like she has like the perfect way to draw it. And this version that her boonie has on the paper is definitely a more advanced version. It's like one of the more detailed drawings. So it must be fairly recent. I think Constance is just kind of first surprised that her boonie even noticed that she doodles this a lot because she's doodled it in front of her mom constantly and her mom has never like mentioned anything about it. And of all the things that Constance has drawn or kind of just like generally played around with that this is the one that her boonie selects is is interesting to her because to Constance this is like amateur doodle with absolutely no thought behind it. Like there's nothing being said by this piece. I noticed you drawing this, my dear. It speaks to me, and clearly it speaks to you as well. Thank you. I'm I'm glad you like it. I didn't I didn't realize you had noticed. I you know I have a lot of we can pick one of my other pieces. If you want something else, dear, that's fine. But this seems important to you. I think she doesn't get why this piece spoke to her boonie, but she also gets that sometimes that's how art goes. And her boonie has always been very clear in what she likes and what she wants, which is something that Constance very much admires and, and wishes that she could be focused more on that rather than on what people think of her wants and likes. I think your boonie looks at you and can see the cogs turning and says, Dear, this is not about what I want. It's not about what your mother wants. It's your life. What do you want? I want tonight to be a memory of us getting a tattoo together. And if this is the tattoo you brought, this is the tattoo we're getting. And I think Constance actually takes the paper out of her boonie's hand, hands it to the dude and is like, we're getting this, if that's okay. If I don't know if that like, time-wise and all that kind of th- this is what we were thinking she kind of she, Brittany laughs yeah she starts out a little <laughs> assertive and then kind of uh you know waffles down a peg and the two of you sit back i think the tattoo artist is someone's one of his colleagues and you and your boonie over the course of the next hour get these matching tattoos and i think towards the end you and your boonie have just sort of been been talking. And I think towards the end, she, she kind of looks over at you and says, 
I was serious, dear. What do you want? I have no idea how to answer that question. I guess I want to know definitively what I want. I want to be that sure about anything as much as I am sure that I enjoy making art. I know that I like making art. I do not know what my purpose is. You will find your purpose or it will find you. But if art is what you like, if art is what you want, if art is what makes you happy, dear, that should be your North Star. Don't let your mother or your father, your friends, your professors, don't let anyone tell you that that's not worth doing. I think I just give her a a nod. Not too long after that, your tattoos are finished. And you get a a good look at them before they slap the protective heavy-duty plastic wrap over them (laughs) (laughs) to prevent any (laughs) contamination or infection. And the two of you are just kind of holding them up next to each other. And uh, I think your boonie looks at you and and puts a hand up to your cheek and leans her forehead in and, and rests it against your forehead and says, Whatever you decide to do, I will always be proud of you, my dear. And as long as you have this, I will always be with you. Oh, damn. Oh. I think I just give her a big hug and a kiss on the cheek. Because I don't... I take it very symbolically at the time. She returns the hug. And as the two of you part, she looks at you and says, It's... Time to go, dear. And she looks towards the door, and attached to it is a single silver thread. I wrap the thread around my arm and pull. The door swings open, and you are standing at the edge of a semi-sphere of darkness. And in front of you are ten orbs of light, and Alvin Hughes. Hey folks, Quinn here. Thank you all so much for tuning in to episode 50 of Monster Hour. If you are listening to this, if you've made it this far, there are no words to express our profound gratitude. When we started the show, we had no idea if we would make it to 50 episodes. We had absolutely no idea what to expect. As of me recording this, uh, two days before this episode is scheduled to come out, we have over 30,000 downloads across every single US state and 62 countries around the world. We have a beautiful and vibrant Discord community where folks come together to talk about the show, but also their home games, custom moves, Monster of the Week, and the genre, and actual plays, and and just life in general. We have a burgeoning Patreon community that's helping support our work and bring you new and better content. We have giveaways, we have fan art, guest spots, memes, reviews, ratings, all sorts of real monsters, and none of that would be possible without you, our listeners. This podcast is truly a labor of love for us, but we would not be presenting this episode today without you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I have no more words, um, so I will let you listen to someone else's words. Our spooky spotlight this week is The Lucky Die, a dark and dramatic fantasy actual play about a world on the edge of the apocalypse and the deeply flawed heroes attempting to save it. You see, looking up from the ground, blood-red clouds boiling across the sky. You did ask me to bring the thunder. (laughs) Dejan! Dejan! Help! I've got the chalice! Please! 
Well, if they're following you, then I guess that takes care of a loose end for me. <laughs> All of you feel the earth beneath you shake and crack and break. I feel that I have failed both of you, and I am sorry for that. This has nothing to do with you being a bad leader. Do you want a countdown? Oh, I think I want a countdown. I want to help. I always had good two, intention. I one. do not deserve to die. Now. The Lucky Die Podcast is a weekly 5e Dungeons & Dragons actual play podcast. Join our adventure every Monday wherever you download podcasts by searching for The Lucky Die. That's all I've got for you this week, folks. Get back to the episode, and we will return with episode 51 of Monster Hour on May 25th. See you then. Alvin, you see in the wake of your devastating blow, a silver thread jettison itself from your hand, wrap around one of those 11 orbs and yank it free. And it goes sailing back towards the unconscious form that you very suddenly and joyously remember is one Constance Redescue. What do the three of you do? Well, I don't know that I'm doing a whole lot, because... No. (laughs) I am unstable. I take whatever threads are left in my hand, and I whisper to them, like, you've done a very good job. Thank you very much. If you wouldn't mind just freeing those other lights while we get out of here, that would be great. Love you. Bye. I toss them into nothing. I see Alvin do this, and I I, I slowly kiss the thread as well, because I, I don't know what you guys have figured. I'm just like, uh, okay. Yeah, Constance, you just, you literally, you come to, like, I think you have a vague understanding of exiting as a an identity without a body and being drugged <laughs> back to your physical form, and then coming to, not too far away from JR, in the shadow of this giant otherworldly entity. Yep, not even phased. I see all that. I go, okay, check. We need to help JR. She does not look good. Giant thing. Got it. Alvin's kissing stuff. Okay, I'll do the same. (laughs) Alvin, as you loose these threads, they start going for these 10 other orbs uh, and they latch onto a couple of them. The jelly of this jellyfish is beginning to reform. Mm -hmm. And around you, you can see a number of these black tendrils starting to circle back up in sort of a defensive posture, responding to the calamitous blow that you struck and and sort of your ongoing presence. This entity is prepared to defend itself. Yeah, which is bad news for us because I don't really know a way to, to hurt it just by ourselves. What do we do? We gotta cheese it. We gotta cheese it. Great. Uh, how? I'm, I'm whooshing back out of this uh, half jelly space, back down to the other two. If anyone would like to, I think this is certainly a time that you could read a bad situation. It might be to our advantage that I, I think do it. you, yeah, give yeah. it a go. <laughs> yeah, that's a seven. Hold one. Are there any dangers we haven't noticed? Constance, I think as Alvin whooshes down to rendezvous with you and JR, I think you can see that without assistance or intervention, the threads are not going to recover all 10 of those orbs. (sighs) And it went from 11 lights to 10 lights when you woke up. So those 10 lights are the 10 other people. So the danger is that you can very much leave now. If you do, some of those people will never remember. (sighs) Okay. That won't fly. How big are these orbs again? Those ones are like golf ball sized. Oh my God. I stuff them in my pockets. Let's fucking go. (laughs) What are we even talking about? I thought these were like. I think they're difficult for us to touch. Oh, right. Because like the other orbs in this space, you touch them, you just see it. Yeah, that's right. They don't have a face. Pull pull your hands into your shirt and (laughs) use the shirt. As a fan of your. As a fan of your characters, yes, as Alvin described, you don't seem to be able to have a physical Mm -hmm. manifestation with these orbs. Right. If you're going to be helpful, you need to create a distraction or otherwise waylay this entity while those threads do their work. Got it. Okay. What do the three of you do? Constance, what should we do? Yes. 
Try to say it less robotically. (laughs) (laughs) Constance, oh my God, I'm so glad you're back. The team isn't the same without you. We need a leader. What should we do? Am I dreaming? You tell me (laughs) I'm My immediate thought is touch the orb. And I was like, oh, no, wait, we can't touch the orbs. You went to space and back again a whole bunch of times. You have a brief flash of being stuck in outer (laughs) space and then a brief flash of being stuck deep in the ocean and then you come back to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, not that again. Okay. JR needs to hang out here. Alvin, I I can't believe I'm saying this, but we need to go kick some metaphysical ass. Thought you'd never ask. I look JR in the eyes and I go. I'm not going to promise to get you back in one piece because that should be a given. I'm going <laughs> to promise to get your suit back in one piece. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> it's already got a hole in it. We'll fix that. Can't take much more. We'll <laughs> fix oh, it. My baby. <laughs> here's here's what I'm going to need you to do, champ. Yeah, yes. Yeah, if you see. <laughs> All right, bud. If you see any opportunity to throw some of that magical stuff you do at us, not at us, sorry, clarification, important clarification, at the yeah, bad sorry. thing, please do. Okay. Beca- and then I whisper this part so Alvin doesn't hear it. I'm like, because I'm pretty sure we might die. All right, Alvin, let's go. <laughs> and then I whoosh. I super whoosh with Alvin. I guess as whooshing as I can. It's synchronized whooshing. Synchronized it's whooshing. Yeah. It's synchronized it's so whooshing. Yep. Yeah. Uh, okay. Alvin and Constance, the two of you sail forward towards this entity. What are you doing to distract, attack, waylay, or otherwise create an opening for these threads? Ooh, what if I like, because I'm holding on to a thread, right? I still have that thread I was holding on to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can I use it like a whip and start whipping this thing with the <laughs> yeah. thread? Thread weapon. Thread whipping. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I, th- I think it's got to be a kick some ass. <laughs> mm-hmm. So give me a roll plus tough. However, you are acting on the information from your read about situation. Mm-hmm. So you go ahead and take a plus one for that. Yay. Yay. Hey, wow, t- 10 is the number today. I keep rolling 10s. Uh, so that's going to be a 10. Yay. Wait, did, yeah. did Constance roll a full success on a kick Constance some ass? Constance kick yeah. some ass. Episode oh my 50. Gosh. Here we are. Wow. What a surprise. Was not expecting that. On a uh, 7 plus, you inflict harm on each other. On a 10 plus, you get to choose an extra effect. I'm going to go with terrible harm. Yeah. Screw it. It is what it is, man. What does your terrible harm look like? Ooh, I would like to say that I basically think of every superhero movie I've ever seen and I whoosh up and as I throw the the whip down on this thing, I'm very much doing my inner Wonder Woman and I think I actually do like a, ah, as I do it too. Yes. Yeah. And if you were to freeze frame it, it could be the cover of a comic book. Mm-hmm. And now it has to tell the truth. Yeah, that's an added benefit. (laughs) Yeah, Constance, you sail up and you bring this whip down across the surface of this entity and it carves a path through it. And several more of these gossamer silver threads dive forward and pluck two more of the orbs out. And now there are just three remaining. Alvin. I'm going to act as like a lead blocker for these gossamer threads as they are dashing into the center of this half sphere remains of the of the jelly alvin is going to fly in and just like try to shoulder bash tentacles out of the way as they try to interfere do you feel like this is a protect someone or do you feel like this is a no limits i could go either way you know honestly i could go either way as well it feels kind of like a protect someone where the someone is the threads okay why don't you give me a roll plus tough okay do i get a plus one because i'm doing what constance said yeah yeah, I think uh, yeah. I think often right applies here. Perfect. Dang it. It's a seven still. <laughs> On a seven plus, you protect them okay, but you'll suffer some or all of the harm they were going to get. Mm-hmm. Alvin, you're a great lead blocker, but it absolutely ends with you getting punctured by several of these sharpened jet black tentacles. You are going to take four harm. Ooh. Jesus. Oof. 
I'm okay. Barely. However, you lead a charge of the Light Brigade yeah! into this open maw of the jellyfish. And I should say, as, as all of this is happening all around you, these tendrils are swiping down and doing their best to defend this colossal leviathan. Mm-hmm. But your efforts are successful, Alvin, and you, you lead them through this gauntlet and they pluck two more of those orbs out. And now there's just one remaining. JR. What are you doing? Bring it home. I could put up a barrier. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Okay, then barrier that's what I'm going to do. Barrier like your, your OG oh, magic. Go it to, is. Yeah. All right, barrier time. Let's do this. Okay, give me a roll to use magic. That's a seven. On a seven nine, there's a glitch. Well, kids, I can't take one harm. No. Because no. if I take one harm, I will die. I do not want to attract immediate unwelcome attention because that again, also sounds like death. I will die. Right. Problematic side effect. Quinn would probably make me die. <laughs> uh, let's just be clear. Like we're well beyond the realm of like, oh, like you turn out all spotty or like your hands are candy canes uh-huh. or we're whatever. That now. Like, yeah, no, we're in the like, this is welcome to death. Um, so Shorten, maybe how fast are these things plucking orbs? And how fast can you two move? Uh, not I mean, too- a good like frame of reference for this is like a dogfight in space. Yeah. Okay. Like that's the chaos and speed at which this is is all sort of happening. All okay. right. Well, I'm gonna do a short duration. It will be mm-hmm. full protection level, but it's not gonna last long, and both of you are gonna have to figure out what you can okay. do with that. So I hold up the key and I throw my hand out and I'm not even saying anything. There's just that ripple of magic that goes out from my hand. And for just a moment, Alvin and Constance, there is a barrier protecting you from the legion of black tentacles. I take the forget-me-not off my finger and I chuck it at the last orb. Give me a roll to act under pressure. Uh, oh, but I have plus three. That's a seven. (laughs) just barely on a 7 to 9 I'm going to offer you a worse outcome a hard choice or a price to pay Alvin either you are not going to get this orb uh, and the barrier is going to go down you're going to take the full brunt of this entity's assault on the way out or all of the threads around you are going to take the full brunt of its assault very tough choice and to be clear with what the term means, when we fill up, we are dying. Seven is like immediate risk of death, like you need immediate medical treatment or you will die. I think then I have to thank Anansi for his service and try to get the orb, grab Constance and whoosh out. You lasso this last orb and overhead, JR's barrier is being assailed by these inky black tendrils. You and Constance shoot out from underneath it, and as you do so, all around they begin to converge, and they are met by dozens of gossamer silver threads. The two forces collide, and you have just enough time to escape before all of them are torn to pieces. You and Constance and this last orb and this last thread sail out to JR's position just at the perimeter of this entity's presence. Everyone, hang on. Okay. As you think that, the three of you are sailing away, and you get a bird's eye view, such as it is, of this entity subsuming this vast empty expanse, its tendrils snaking through the orbs in every direction, until you reach what seems to be the edge, the end, the perimeter. The lone silver thread deposits you there, and in front of you opens a window, like you are all too familiar with. And through it, you can see the studio. We're gonna fix this. The thread nods and beckons for the three of you to leave. Yeah, through the window, I think. Yes. Yeah. The three of you step through the rift and it disappears behind you and we fade away 
and we fade in on a different scene. We see the Chamberlain Library at Firmament College. It's closed off with police caution tape, and two dozen FPD officers are stationed at the entrance. Inside, we see the reading room, still in disarray with books and desks and shelves overturned. The students are gone, presumably evacuated, leaving just a single person left in the sweeping space. Beside the rift stands Chief Stoney, phone pressed to his ear and a look of gritted resolve on his face. It's secure, he says, and hangs up. We see the expansive, beautiful, alien scenery of the moonscape, and zoom in to a sunken valley between two wind-worn canyon walls. Two figures stand there, waiting in uncomfortable silence. A portly man with a generous mustache and an out-of-place suit paces back and forth between a much calmer man with black slicked hair and an aquiline nose. We recognize them from pictures and past encounters mm. as Jorgen Eklund and Jim Moriarty. Oh, fuck! Their long wait finally ends when a brilliant spark of light pierces the backdrop of the Badlands, opening up into a familiar window. A dozen hands fill the space, but they are quickly brushed aside as a faceless figure, sturdy and straight-backed, steps through. The maskless kindred looks at Moriarty and nods slightly, receiving a devilish grin in return. They step up to Jorgen Eklund, who flinches reflexively in response. Jorgen, Jorgen Eklund. Your, Your man, man can, can do, do what, what he, he claims. claims? Oh, uh, yes, Mr. Prairie, sir. I've seen it with my own eyes. So is old Jim here. Eklund laughs nervously, practically begging for backup. Moriarty nods in agreement. There's a long, tense silence. And then at last, Prairie extends a hand outward. Then and I, I believe, believe we, we have, have a deal. deal. Hmm. And we see a small, grungy-looking tattoo parlor at the edge of town. <laughs> a fading neon open sign flickers off outside. But we step in. It's dark and quiet and empty. Save for one station in the very back. Two women stand over a desk, looking down at a piece of paper. A hand-drawn sketch, depicting three peaks, each in its own stylized fashion, rising up from an inverted triangle. Three years ago, you did a pair of these tattoos. A teenager and her grandmother. Do you remember them? Listen, ma'am, I don't know what weird sort of relationship you got with your family, but that girl was over 18, and if her and her granny wanted matching tattoos, I didn't have any legal obligate. Can you duplicate them? I'm sorry? Can you do it again exactly the same way? I mean, yeah, I can do it. Then do it. Says Magdalena Rodescu as she takes a seat in the chair. <gasps> 